Hello, Edgar. Hello, Gregoire. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. <laughs> well, you don't sound the same. I don't sound the same and you don't either. We are recording from different places today. Yes, and this is very appropriate because today we are going to talk about the latest coronavirus, mm -hmm. also known as COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Yes. Are you up for that? Um, well, as up as anyone can be in this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's telling. <laughs> for, for future listeners... <laughs> We might, we might be a bit tired. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Um, well, lots of changes during the past few weeks. We yeah. will be uh, looking forward to reading your comments or questions, if uh, you guys have any. As I mentioned on Facebook and Twitter, we already recorded the last three podcasts of the season before the coronavirus, mm -hmm. uh, aka COVID-19, came into our life. So we, <clears throat> when you will hear those uh, podcasts, don't be surprised that there's absolutely no mention of it. Okay. Yes. Well, my name is Grégoire Pierre. And this is Edgar Danielson. Welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis. Edgar, maybe we could start talking a little bit about how, how things started, uh, maybe mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. How was it to you? Well, I think uh, for most of us, we began to receive the news from what was going on in Asia, particularly in China. And even though it, it felt to me that it was quite a dramatic experience there, I have to say that I was not expecting the virus to propagate in such a fast way. So to be very honest, I think it took me by surprise. At some point, I realized, oh, this is going faster than what we thought, and this will have repercussions on the economy, on the health system, on our private practices, um, and the way we conduct ourselves on a daily basis. Yeah, I think it came to me, I mean, we are recording mid-March 2020, mm -hmm. and I think I started thinking about it uh, four weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the time, I felt like it was somewhat some kind of a bad dream, because mm -hmm. uh, it felt like it was going to come from what I would, to the information I gathered, I felt that things were going to turn south. Um, yes. But it felt so far for mm -hmm. what seemed like a while. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then it started to heat. And the more, the deeper we go into this uh, pandemic, I think the, the, I would say the darker the horizon seems. Yeah. The more we realize how much it's going to impact our life in general, mm -hmm. also our practice and our society in general, like. A lot mm -hmm. of people are going to be unemployed. A lot of people are going to die, not necessarily from the virus, but because of the lack of um, available professionals. 
people aren't going to be less treated because it's not going to be enough space. Uh, yes. And the economic consequences are going to be terrible. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, future listener will know whether we were right or not. Or not. We don't know. In fact, uh, we have been talking, you and I and other people, of course, we, we realize that things are changing from day to day. One day yeah. we receive news that this is what the government is doing, and the next day we uh, we receive that it's going to be more dramatic. I guess they are trying to contain this as quickly as possible. How did you start uh, mentioning it to your patient, or mm-hmm. did you mention it to your patient? Did you wait for them to talk? What was your approach? Both. <laughs> and the initially, probably a, a month ago in February, no one of my patients was saying anything at all. And I decided not to bring up the subjects. Then probably two, two and a half weeks ago, I realized that this was moving faster and therefore I needed to address the possible disruptions in the treatments. And I began to talk with my patients directly about the possibility that they would be working from their homes or if their classes in college would be suspended, so on and so forth. I think the guiding principle that I use when I decide to bring something and not wait for the patient to bring it is that, of course, I'm changing the frame. Of course, Mm -hmm. I'm changing. I'm leading the session in that moment, but I do that only if there will be a possibility that we analyze what has happened. Personally, that's my guiding principle. I don't lead, I don't ask the patient to talk about something in particular unless I realize that we'll be able to analyze it with enough time before the disruption happens. So then a week ago, we are recording on a Tuesday, Monday last week, after what seemed to me like a normal weekend in the city, (laughs) we wake up on Monday, listening to Columbia University closing, another place where I teach. Uh, it's uh, moved everything online. I heard about Harvard closing, Rutgers University in New Jersey, so on and so forth. And everything happened the same day. That created a sense of urgency. Now, some people may say that I was not able to contain my own anxiety. Maybe that's true. And this is overly determined. And I thought that it was necessary to address directly what would happen if we could not get into the office so that the patients had a, a contingency plan. Yeah, I see what you mean. I would agree. The thing is, I wonder how we, what we qualify as patients talking about it. And I will give you uh, examples. Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago, when it was still felt very distant, I remember, and I already had uh, that question in mind, I had a few patients who mentioned uh, future plans. We were Mm -hmm. early February, I believe, and they were talking about plans in April. And at that time, I had to make a call. Is this denial or are you just not thinking about it? Mm -hmm. So my reaction was to introduce the question right there, thinking that it might have been a denial Mm -hmm. and mentioning just 
lightly at the time, you might not be able to go where you plan to go because mm -hmm. um, the virus might have spread uh, in the United States and there might be quarantines. And I remember that I had um, very different reactions from um, different patients. Some patients were actually uh, very interested in that idea and in being able to talk about it in session. Mm -hmm. And others were just wondering if I were, I think, if I was crazy or not that it would mm -hmm. never happen, that it would never reach that state, that, mm -hmm. that life would stay the same, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, would, I wouldn't push, I think I remember at the time I didn't push too much on uh, whether mm -hmm. I was crazy or not or whether they were in denial. I just, um, you know, brought that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure if for some of them were de was denial uh, or for some of them was being out of awareness in terms of the social constructs that they have. For example, I think 80% of my patients are below 35 or so. Mm -hmm. So when we began to talk directly about this, a common statement was that I know it's going to be tough for me, but I will survive. So Then with the patients who are immune compromised or patients who are older, the narrative was completely different. So that's connected to, uh, my, my guess, connected to a sense of grandiosity from mm -hmm. the younger generations. And it's, of course, I think it's connected to the social context in which we understand younger generations to be invincible. Plus, reality is that their, the rate of mortality for younger generations is much, much lower. Okay, I'm going to make a parenthesis here. Yeah. Uh, while we are uh, recording the podcast, we have a page that we worked on to put all mm -hmm. the ideas that we are going to talk about. And I, uh, we worked on that page just a few weeks ago, and a lot of the items that we uh, were that we decided we would talk are, seem completely outdated because um, mm -hmm. things move so fast. But at the time, we wondered uh, whether or not we should prepare the patients. Of course, now it seems uh, <laughs> completely uh, outdated to ask us a question. But I think at the, at the time, it, a few weeks ago, it felt relevant. So what do you think? Should we have prepared them? I wish I had had more time to prepare them. It was only um, mostly one session patient in which we had a long conversation about what it would mean to them that we will transfer our sessions to a, a remote setting. I wish I had explored that on a deeper level before. And there are patients I was not able to explore it because they decided that they could not come out of their apartments. They needed to protect themselves and I, I fully understand that. So from my side, yes, I wish I had had a little bit more time. You see, it's interesting to me because from what we're discussing, I started thinking about it a little bit before you. Mm -hmm. And so I had more time in that sense. But mm -hmm. what came to me, and actually now that I'm listening to you, I realized that is that I didn't prepare them for that. I did try to prepare some of my patients, but I'm realizing that to me, the question was not about the frame of the therapy. Mm -hmm. What was I it realized, about? Well, I realized that the question of the frame, I didn't pay too much attention to it. I mm -hmm. should have. And now I'm trying to uh, work on it a little bit now that everything is uh, removed. What I started preparing them about were the social consequences 
and the economical consequences. Mm, yeah, I see that's a different approach. I didn't consider that clearly now, this week, beginning these past few days. Yes, my patients are talking about the fears of the social fabric to unravel. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're discussing nowadays with many of them. I had a patient who really was very anxious about what would happen. So very aware of uh, the situation already uh, a few weeks ago. And <laughs> the question with him was that he was thinking that the pandemic situation we're in now would actually look like walking dead. Like a lot of <laughs> people would die and come back as zombies or something like that. He knew rationally that it wouldn't be like that. Yes. But the amount of anxiety and the fears that were expressed were around that kind of uh, imaginary. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the work with that person especially was actually gone de-escalating actually what would be the consequences and mm -hmm. how, of course, I mean, I'm saying of course, yes, of course, during that discussion, things came from this person's own issues and problematics mm -hmm. that we talked about, it, but it was really folded into what might happen. I remember that at the time, even if I was listening to what was uh, being said, my idea was that we would be done with the virus after a few weeks or months. Um, I, I guess that's what, was, what we were hoping for, and probably that was a little bit of wishful thinking on my <laughs> <laughs> yes. Looking back, it seems like it. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And, and with other patients I, I talked about, and their fear was, I think even myself, I wasn't really considering that I, would, I wouldn't be able to come to the office. Mm -hmm. I thought people would get sick. I thought I would have to be careful. Mm -hmm. But the idea that I would have to stay in my apartment, I think that came much later. Yeah, so maybe that's also why I didn't prepare them because I wasn't prepared mm -hmm. myself. Yeah, I, I had the same experience. I realized that I was going to shut down doing face-to-face -face sessions only one week ago. So definitely, we had no time. I never thought that I would have to do that. But <laughs> again, uh, when you realize that the institute we are affiliated with, the institutions where our patients study, the companies they work for, they are shutting down and asking them to work remotely. And it happened literally from one day to the other when everything began to move so quickly. To be yeah. honest, we didn't see it coming. No, no not that intensity. And that brings us to the question of, still on the question of what do we prepare them for and how, is that how do you prepare someone for what we're going through now? I remember younger that there was H1N1 virus. Yes, I remember. I remember it being such a threat. No. Uh, and I don't remember anything being so worldwide. Mm-hmm. Sarks at some point, but I don't think we were touched as deeply as this one. I think SARS was in the 2000s, the early 2000s. I don't remember now. You see, it's difficult to pinpoint anything like this in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, 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 this is something that will probably come back uh, regularly in this podcast is that because of this pandemic, we are faced with working with an unthinkable event. Mm -hmm. It is not as dangerous as a war or as a mass murdering um, or genocide, but it is still hard to even know what to think about. 
-hmm. And we are directly impacted also. I read online how some people were comparing that to the, I mean, American therapists, and especially New Yorkers, uh, with uh, 9-11. And yeah, there's something to it. Like mm -hmm. how you are not able to distance yourself as much. You can't just pretend even in the imagination mm -hmm. or in the dream of the session, you can't pretend that you're not affected by this virus. Like mm -hmm. in some ways it would be kind of crazy for us to keep taking the subways or the train and to go to our office and pretend that we are untouched at and mm -hmm. so we are taken into that loop too, clearly. Mm -hmm. I think most of my patients are aware of the impact and the uh, profound consequences that this will have on the, at many different levels, the, the personal, the economic, our social systems. At the same time that they are talking about that, the other side of the coin is that they are talking about loneliness and finding themselves with our support system, trying to ponder what to do. So, you know, when, when we get to this point, are we talking about fantasy? Are we talking about reality? Uh, what is the role of the analyst? From my side, I don't treat this as we have been infected by fear. That's true, but I think we need to also realize ex explicitly that we're facing danger here. The danger that is in fantasy and the danger that is quite in reality, yeah. That leads us to another point. I think something for us as clinicians to keep in mind is that this situation forces the reality of the analyst body in the room. Mm -hmm. We are just as fragile as anybody else. Yes. And that goes against a very important part of our work, how patients will project onto us very mm -hmm. powerful imagos Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, here we are. We can be sick. We have to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this aspect was problematic or came up with some of your patients? It didn't come up like that. It came sideways. What I mean is, is that when I decided to move all sessions to remote sessions, there were a handful of patients who wanted to see me in person. And when we talked about that, they realized that my decision, because it was my decision, <laughs> was sound in terms of what the health officials are saying. Mm -hmm. Now, again, that brings a part of me to the foreground that they had not seen, meaning a part that says we need to assess risk. And they had not seen that, or at least not, they had never expressed that, that I was assessing risk. And that is not necessarily the role of the analyst, but I took it to be my role in that moment. How that will unfold as their fantasies keep being projected on me in the future, I don't know. They saw something of me that clearly was not the usual me. Yeah. yeah. And I think we will have to be very sensitive to how mm -hmm. that plays out in our patients. My guess is that we should be attentive to possible aggressive reactions that might be displayed not in a very manifest way, but in a lighter mm -hmm. way. And also, I think we should be sensitive to the possibilities that especially... Um, 
more fragile patients may have felt betrayed. Mm-hmm. Not rationally. I think uh, what, what you're mentioning is probably what most people must have experienced, like this kind mm-hmm. of rational discussion, like, well, yes, of, yeah, at some point, yeah, okay, you're right. Uh, I'm looking everywhere and and this is what should have been done and what should be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, we know that the unconscious is not as rational as... Um, no, it never is. <laughs> <laughs> it has its own ways of unfolding. It's uh, infinite needs uh, and the complexity of attachment, resentment, Mm -hmm. and the need for us to be uh, Mm -hmm. all-powerful, etc. And also, I think it's going to be interesting to see how maybe some other patients, or maybe the same, we'll see, might have been actually helped by us being able to tolerate a real Mm -hmm. difficulty. Yeah. Something that comes to mind is uh, in terms of the patient's fantasies, I think at this point, well, it's too early to know how things will unfold in Mm -hmm. the next few weeks in terms of their fantasies and in terms of the reality of the virus. But what I am experiencing, I don't categorize it in terms of aggression. In fact, what I'm experiencing is a certain fragility that we are now using. I, I used video conferencing. So we see each other, most of them. Some people want to use other means like a phone. But what they experience is a certain fragility and vulnerability because now I am, in a very clear way, I'm intruding onto their spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I see their apartments. I see what they have there, I see how they sit on their couches or tables or whatever they are doing. So it's a completely different experience. And some of them have expressed a sense of vulnerability that is uh, a little bit too real, too much for mm. them. That's interesting. Uh, in some cases, at least one that I can remember, I had to push my chair farther away from the computer so that the person didn't see me so close by in their screens. I think we're dealing right now how to recreate a sense of safety, a secure space, a secure frame. So at this point, I'm not experiencing uh, aggression as much as I am experiencing vulnerability. Of course, we all know vulnerability may develop into aggression, meaning that they will be angry at me at some point. Yeah. People don't see you right now. I see you with your camera. How do your patients react to the change of frame? Could you describe to our audience what I yes. see behind you? Yes, I am in my home office, and therefore there are many things in the office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> many objects and books and things that I would rather not present to my patients. Mm-hmm. I'm using, in fact, a screen behind a divider, a screen behind my yeah. chair, which when Gregoire saw it said that looks claustrophobic. <laughs> I did it. I did say yes. that. I confirm. Yes. yes. Uh, and it might be, uh, I don't feel claustrophobic. I don't. Of course, because you don't but, see it. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't see it. But my patients see it. And therefore, it has been part of a conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, they don't know where I am. Uh, they don't know exactly where my home office is located. They don't know anything of that. But it has been an opportunity to explore the fantasies that they come up with, that they have about me. So that's what they see. And the other thing is that I began to observe this, I think it was today. Some patients are turning off. The system I use allows both 
me and the patient to see each other in the screens. Mm -hmm. And some of them have decided that they want to turn off seeing themselves okay. in, the, in the screen. So they only see me and that simulates a little bit what we do in the room. They look at me, I look at them. Some of them are beginning to move their heads around so because when we do camera, people think that they have to look at the camera. So all of that has been an opportunity to explore the frame, the new frame, the creating a safe space, etc. Yeah. We are all learning how to use these technologies. We are yeah. learning on the, on the fly. Yeah. yeah, yes, we are. I think another question that our current situation raises, and probably not just this one, and probably the one that will follow, mm -hmm. because, I mean, it's a little parenthesis, but we eventually we're going to invite a colleague of ours who worked on psychoanalysis and climate change. Yes. Um, and anyway, I do think that because of climate change, this kind of pandemic uh, is going to happen again during our lifetime. Mm -hmm. If what some scientists believe is that the virus jumped from an animal to human beings, that might be very well connected to the fact that we're taking the space of the animals. Uh, yeah. yeah, also I think it's connected to how you eat the animal and which animal, because uh, yeah. in some region of China, people are eating wild animals. Mm -hmm. and they are eating them raw mm -hmm. or as raw as possible. So you increase the probabilities to get viruses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's not the best English, but I think people understood the idea. Um, so coming back to something I wanted to bring up is that I think such situation that will most likely re-happen uh, re during our lifetime, I think confront us with an enemy that we can't see. Yes, mm-hmm. And that's striking to me because, and I think that's partially on, on what the denial was uh, built upon, is that even more striking today is that you don't know who's sick and you don't know who's not. Yes. You might be sick, uh, might be infected right now mm -hmm. and not have the symptoms uh, before two weeks. We might have very mild symptoms. We might have very dangerous symptoms. We don't know. We're walking in the streets and people don't look sick, but they might contaminate you. They mm -hmm. might not. You know, it creates this sense of paranoia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this is an opportunity for psychoanalysis and also analysts, because I think what you're talking about is uncertainty, is that uh, we cannot be certain that the person we're talking to is, uh, is not infected. And if psychoanalysis has taught us something is to live with uncertainty, with a sense that sometimes the extremes that we know so well, you know, someone is sick, someone is not sick. Mm -hmm. We know very well the extremes, but now we have to navigate different reality, which is maybe this person is sick, maybe this person is not. And, and maybe uh, this person is going to make me sick, maybe... Yes, and there might be I'm fears. Make other people sick. Other people get sick, and uh, of course, the guilt associated with that, or the rage, or uh, yeah, there's some people who are enraged that they have to be at their homes and not do much. They feel enraged uh, mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. On that side, it really questions or put in perspective uh, the society of control that we are so used to. Yes. Yeah. You click on a button something will be delivered to your door. Yes, right? and quickly. 
yeah, and you don't in your imagination, you don't have to take into consideration all the aspects of all the different parts, all the different people who have <laughs> to be involved so that your item on your screen uh, happen to show up at your door. And Correct. now with this virus, we are confronted with the complexity and the mess, I would say, of our societies. Yeah. And the, I would say also the illusions that are now falling apart, the fantasies that are being dissolved. And that will lead us, and I include myself, into the space of uncertainty. So if what I had thought was my solid ground and it dissolves, then what do I have? And to live in that kind of uncertainty is anxiety-provoking. And I think that when the pandemic will be over, we will have to be very careful or very attentive to how this question will transform. What do you mean, mean by that? I mean that I'm concerned or I'm already thinking that I will have to pay attention to how people quickly want to go back to a sense of normalcy. Oh, yes. Yes, I agree. And actually, there will be a price to pay for people who rush too fast mm -hmm. uh, to uh, going back to completely to thinking that everything is back to normal. And mm -hmm. we will have, a, I think, as analysts and as therapists in general, to help our patient reemerge uh, in a more in a safer way into the very disorganizing feelings that they might have had during the pandemic so that they yes. don't so that people don't just, you know, brush them off and actually spend a ton of psychical energy to maintain them uh, uh, blocked, a quarantine, actually, in their psyche. Well, that's a good on. point. Yeah, we split. And so we quarantine some of the affect that is so uncomfortable and we propel ourselves into something new and, and exciting, perhaps, or different without being aware of what we have left behind. Yeah, so... I think as clinician, we really will have to pay close attention to that aspect because I think it will make some people feel weird without them understanding why. I'm pretty sure that after three, at least, or six months of this situation, people are going to be so relieved. We all are going to be so relieved to be able to go outside, go grocery shopping without being online, uh, in line forever, or yeah. uh, the fear of death, the fear of pain mm -hmm. of uh, seeing our society uh, uh, unraveling mm -hmm. and that yeah we will have to to help people not rush too much into that or if they do to yeah. help them take a few steps back step back yeah. so that they can uh, reintegrate the part of themselves that was so to be lightly disconcerted by what had happened mm -hmm. Or in other words, uh, we should pay attention to all defensive maneuvers <laughs> that may show up in, in full force. That's another way to put it, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Something else that I wanted to bring up about this mm -hmm. uh, is that, and that's very uh, appropriate, I think, for psychoanalysis, yet I don't really know how we can work on it, is that I think such situations question, not only this one, but situations like that, they question our relation to what we can't see, but is still affecting us. <laughs> because the virus is invisible. Yes. Yeah. Even sick people are invisible. Yes. And like I am pretty sure as a parenthesis that after everything is over 
and maybe probably during the time, we will have conspirational theory uh, online saying that it was all a hoax, that it was all the media and the government pretending that they were sick mm -hmm. people, that we never saw any sick people. I mean, anti-Semitic people are doing that uh, even after the uh, the Shoah. So yes, <laughs> there's, no, yeah. there's no limits to denial. It wouldn't be surprising if it happens yeah. in this case and, too. And I think it it is very it connects to a lot of what we actually work on on a daily basis in our offices. Mm -hmm. like everything that patients come with in their life, and they don't know that it affected them, and yes, it did. Mm -hmm. And yeah, such situations are in some ways embody, they embody uh, mm -hmm. this kind of influence that the invisible can have on how we live our life. Mm -hmm. Well, the invisible is, is, is scary to begin with. If you cannot see it, it can attack you. It's quite anxious provoking. And also something affects you and you don't know that it is that that is affecting you. No. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I'm observing an increase in, for example, some of my patients who are obsessional. I'm observing an, uh, quite an increase in some of the defensive maneuvers, which are about looking at statistics, planning, strategizing. For some of them, if I ask how they feel, it's like I'm, pre I'm preparing myself, which is not the answer to the question. Uh, yeah, that's a way to deal with the anxiety. Another thing that I noticed online is that people notice that the question of the, the signifier mm -hmm. virus was already contaminating people's psyche. Yes. How did you see that evolving mm -hmm. in the last few weeks? I think the increase in the conversations, in the material, uh, the increase in the material connected to the virus that I observed for the past two weeks or so is a sign that we have already been infected, quote-unquote, that the, mm -hmm. the name virus, the COVID-19 or the coronavirus, it has already infected us. If my patients say something like that, I, we explore. Sometimes I feel that that may be another way to cope with anxiety, meaning looking at the virus as a metaphor. Of course, it's not the case for every person, but I, I always try to unpack the possibility that looking at the virus as a metaphor of how the world is or how we are infected might be a coping strategy. Let's talk a little bit about how we are working with our patients and the question of maybe are we losing patients? How do we manage the fees? Mm -hmm. Do you want to say something about that first? Sure. The first thing that we experienced is that, for example, my office is located near many different tech companies, other types of companies in Manhattan. And therefore, my patients would take a lunch break or a long break and come to sessions to meet me. Since they are working from home, their schedules have shifted as well as mine. We've been in flux for a few days. Most of them are able to keep the same schedule days and times, mm -hmm. which is uh, helpful. And others require from me to change. For example, there are some people who are still working in the city, but I'm not there. I'm not in my office. And mm -hmm. therefore, they cannot take a lunch break and go to my office. And they cannot have privacy in their workspaces. So to attend to those in that situation, I'm using a few hours on Saturdays to try to accommodate them. I'm not sure if this will work or not in the long run, 
but it's a, uh, it's a difficult situation for both the patient and myself. So that's the first issue at hand. Mm-hmm. The, the second that we've been exploring is that their partners and housemates and roommates and, and lovers and boyfriends or whomever is, is in the same apartment. Mm-hmm. So we have noticed with some of them how they begin to shift their vocabulary. They are very oh. tactful. Yes, <laughs> they are very tactful about how they refer to their roommates or lovers or partners who are around. That's funny. Okay. And yes, yeah, so in my office, they would say what you imagine they say. Uh, oh, I don't imagine at all. <laughs> about their partners and roommates and so on. But when we are in this space, a shared space, then we're experiencing something different. The system I use has a secure chat. So one thing that I am beginning to tell patients is that if they have to tell me something that they are concerned uh, someone else will hear, they can write it on the chat. And I, I will read it. I will read it and then I will tell them whatever comes to my mind, but it, they will hear it and they don't have to talk. In my imagination, it brings me yeah. back to uh, people who call the police and uh, pretend to order a pizza because they don't want their abused partner to know that they're calling the police. Correct. Yeah, things like that. That is more intense, more dramatic. But in, you know, when we're exploring fantasies, we know that they are quite intense also. Even if we are with our partners, there is always this flipping coin of love and hate and it needs to be explored and it requires then some safe space. If you are a rigid Freudian, you can throw that out of a window because the frame will change continuously. We will have, as I was talking to someone today, a colleague, at this point it's more about creating a space where people can recreate safety even in the midst of what they are experiencing in the world yeah yeah i could feel that some patients were really disappointed that they couldn't see me and Mm -hmm. i actually uh some people stop therapy or they Mm -hmm. bleed on hold telling me that they would want to see me again after the situation goes back to normal yes Look, I didn't really fight it. I have to say I am myself giving as much as I can, but I'm pretty tired. Yes. Uh, so I also think I, I'm recognizing that uh, I don't have the energy to really support that much anxiety. Yeah, probably if it was something that happened to them, but not to me, and my situation was very stable, I would probably be able to try to work with them a bit more and try to really encourage them to keep working with me. Yes. Um, but now I'm just like, that's it. Also, yeah, I think the question of availability is interesting because especially at this point of the pandemic where everything is changing so fast from one day to the next, it's difficult to be very clear from, I think, from one week to the other. Mm-hmm. Like right now, I feel I'm really scheduling patient for this week. I have an idea for next week, but in my mind, I'm completely ready to thing that the schedule is going to be uh, changed because uh, this happened or that happened. Yeah, I'm being more flexible with my cancellation policy. I have not changed my fees yet. Most of my patients are health insurance based. Mm -hmm. There might be a point in the future. Some colleagues have mentioned that perhaps if things get very difficult, not to ask 
them to pay the copay. There are many differences of working with this. I don't have an answer. The other patients who pay me directly, we are, you know, touching base. With some patients, I may go from monthly statement to a weekly statement, depending on how things unfold. Yeah. Being completely out of network, I can't really um, use the payment that is offered by the insurance. And I actually had to start not charging one of my patients because uh, her line of work is such that she had to stop working. Yes. Some patients Mm -hmm. are themselves or their partner are working in the retail business. You you can't maintain the same fee. So it's... um, that's quite a loss in terms of income. I think from what I'm projecting, I'm going to lose probably, uh, and with people who are not coming back, uh, probably one third of my income. Mm-hmm. From what I can see, there's no uh, way around it. If you have some kind of ethical uh, base, ethical sense of your work, yeah. Yeah. if you had a very rigid frame, you could just say that if your patients can't pay, well, I guess they should... Um, stop seeing you mm-hmm. and wait until they can pay you again because you know money is very important blah 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 blah, blah. but in such situation really i think those uh, considerations should be reconsidered really. yeah and understand that the society is going to crumble economically it's going to be a disaster we can see all the Stores are going to close or are already closed. The restaurants, the human activity is already slowing down a lot. Slowing down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You will have some people who will maintain their job because they can work remotely. But even so, I think it's going to dry out. If the activity, if the human activity is drying out in general, eventually people mm-hmm. will run out of project or will, won't have enough and there's going to be layoff, mm-hmm. etc. Again, people in the future listening to the podcast will know whether we were ridiculous or we are, my prediction was not. ridiculous or not. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. I'm a bit. I'm a bit worried, but uh, <laughs> you have to try. Well, uh, I guess your perspective has an undertone of dread. I mean, I don't see how else it's going to be. But, uh, well, I agree with you. This will impact terribly. You know, on the other side of the coin, the could that change the the way our governments deal with economic disparity um, okay, yeah. okay i, I okay. want to be i want <laughs> to be hopeful <laughs> no you want to be delusional <laughs> oh now i'm the one who's delusional yeah oh, well we can be are. delusional i think I, we can be delusional in both directions you know <laughs> um, i think uh, if it's either trump or from what we're seeing biden uh, i don't think there's any hope for change in that sense oh yeah yeah, yeah. another thing maybe uh, we're gonna wrap it around here but i mean except if you have other things in mind uh, i think i think we went through everything is that to me it's an especially unsettling situation because that's probably something people noticed in the podcast i feel like even if i think i've been working for like what 14 years now something like that I feel like I had the the chance and I would say even the privilege to train in very different settings. Mm-hmm. I think it really allowed me, helped me in my practice to hear mm-hmm. different sides of my patients, different sides of uh, the situations they're bringing, etc. And I have to say, this is feel very humbling 
now yes. and disheartening in some ways too for my own narcissism, uh, less healthy narcissism, mm -hmm. to feel like I'm kind of lost. Like I've yes. studied how analysts were lost when people came back from uh, concentration camps uh, after the Second World War. And I studied how think Ferenczi was um, researched um, people who were wounded after the First World War. But mm -hmm. it was all theory. And now we are all in the midst of that. And I feel kind of lost in, as a clinician, I have to say. Well, we have not, our generations, multiple generations have not experienced a cataclysmic experience like this. So, uh, yes, we are lost and we're trying to make our work somehow an opportunity for people to deal with the anxiety. But the reality is that we don't have much theory we can use or experience more than theory, experience. We don't yeah. have much. Because, you know, we, uh, as we said earlier in the podcast, we can't deny that we are affected by what's happening. And I feel like when patients are bringing that up, it's, uh, we should, should be clear that we are affected too. Yet our function is, of course, to help our patient get back together, to contain them, to help them see through some aspect of their fantasies, etc. So mm -hmm. we, we maintain that function. But I mean, things are changing so much for me that I can feel that I have a lot less energy. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I feel I like it's, it's difficult to focus as much. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have less uh, space to think. I can feel mm -hmm. that. What I have experienced, of course, this is my countertransference, is that the sessions are going very slow, mm. very slow. So as the, at the same time that the virus is spreading very fast, my experience in the room, well, in the, the video conference mm. with my patient, my experience is that time is running very slow, very slow. Of course, I need to think what it means. It doesn't happen with every single patient, but it hap it's happening, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you're bringing that up because I feel that I'm more like on a train without a break. Uh-huh, I see. Yeah, I feel like sessions are going very fast. Uh -huh. There's a lot of material that, I mean, it mm -hmm. brings people together for the best and the worst. And most, of course. more more time than not, the worst. Like uh, mm -hmm. couples are, there's more tension between them. And mm -hmm. people who have children, there's a lot of tension too. And I feel like sessions are actually uh, very intense. And I, mm -hmm. I really have to make sure I'm on time. And I yeah. let people talk because I feel like they could talk for a lot more than uh, actually yeah. uh, for the 45 minutes of a session. My experience has been different, you know. And of well, course, I'm, it might uh -huh. be connected to the type of patients I have, how I yeah. feel, uh, of course, how I'm experiencing the, my own anxieties. My, uh, yeah, I didn't yeah. consider that, but now that we're talking about it, it's probably the same on my side. I mm -hmm. just thought it was normal, you see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, also because, and uh, yeah, maybe last, last point, is that I don't think I'm going to have time to have much supervision now between seeing my patient and all my other obligations. Uh -huh. uh, also my own analysis. I, mm -hmm. I mean, this is going to be difficult. It's tough. I am still seeing my supervisor online, of course, and having my analysis three times a week on the phone. So oh, good yeah. for you, Edgar. Good for you. Well, well, I think it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a necessity. Yeah, Even it is. I it is. So uh, I'm investing in in myself and in and also trying to contain myself for the sake of my patients too. 
about my uh, it's about me of course but it's about my patients too yeah i guess this is it for today it's been quite a fascinating podcast yeah uh, you in your home and me in mine <laughs> yes it's the first time we do this remotely yeah, yeah just for the anecdotes this is how we started also uh, mm -hmm. when we were uh, trying to start the podcast we tried online and see how it would go yes i think we went against it and i remember on, I, at least on my side i i hated the quality of the sound so too bad for me <laughs> i think it was more technical than anything else at least that's how i remember it at the time yeah but now yeah. things are um, a bit better so mm -hmm. thank you for listening to us if we get questions uh, reaction we will maybe try to uh, have a follow-up If we don't, uh, then most likely you guys are going to be able to listen to the last three podcasts on the uh, beginning and end of uh, therapy. And uh, probably after that, there might be a follow-up or not. It will depend on the situation. And then we will see you again in September. Yes, indeed. So if you like the podcast, give us five stars. and. Um, You can send your questions or comments through our Facebook page or SoundCloud or Twitter. And discussions on psychoanalysis at pm.me. Thank you for listening and see you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.